Good morning. It's great to be with you again this morning as we continue our trek through the book of Philippians. I hope that this will bless you this morning. Our sermon text is Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. I've entitled it, How Well Do You Know Jesus? In the movie Superman, Lois Lane is a reporter that works at the same place where Clark Kent does, and Superman saves her life. And after he saves her life, Lois Lane could say, well, she had met and she knew Superman. But in another sense, she didn't really know Superman. But because he had saved her life, then that made her want to know him at a deeper, deeper level. She wanted to get to know him more intimately, to know what just made his heart tick. And it was like an unquenchable desire. That's one of the themes that's through the movie. She keeps trying to get to know Superman. She wondered why. Why did he choose to save her? Of all the people in the world, he chose to save her. Why did he care for her so much? These things were bothering her because she had received this amazing blessing of life. So she wanted to know Superman's heart. She wanted to have a closer, more personal relationship with, G with uh, Superman. A similar thing happens when two people meet and they're considering marriage. Initially, there's an attraction that takes place. And then after that initial attraction, they are drawn to one another. They want to know each other better. They want to know each other's hearts. But as they pass through that initial attraction, they begin to realize they really don't know each other very well yet. In fact, that even happens after marriage. You find out just how much you didn't know about your spouse before you got married. It's a constant lifetime discovery. It's a wonderful thing. And so there's a thirst, a desire to know the hearts of the other people to make the personal relationship rich and wonderful. And so we always want to spend more time together with people like that. We want to know them, and we want to develop a closer personal relationship with people. And that's a yearning and a desire in this church this morning. Don't you want to know more of the different people who are attending this church? God's placed that desire in you. You know, one of the things that the church in general across the country of every denomination struggles with, one of the main things they struggle with is really knowing each other, of having body life built up, of having rich personal relationships. And that's the way God has designed it. Well, for Paul, Jesus had saved him. You know the story, we've talked about that. He'd forgiven him his sins, given him a new heart and eternal life beautiful, wonderful other things that we'll delve into a little bit more. So he could say he knew Jesus. He'd met him on that Damascus road. But Paul didn't really know Jesus yet. He didn't really know him as a close personal friendship. 
So just like Lois Lane and the two people considering marriage, he wanted to know Jesus more intimately, more personally, more completely. In fact, knowing Jesus, it says in our passage this morning, became the driving force in his life that was more important to him than anything else. He really wanted to know everything about Jesus. As he writes this letter to the Philippian church, 20 plus years after he first met Jesus, he says that I might know Christ. That's how he thinks about his life. Every day he gets up, every night he puts his head on the pillow. He wants to know how he might know Christ. So Paul continued in his desire to seek after and find out the unsearchable depths of what it means to know Jesus and to know his love. A love that met him on that road when he was Jesus' enemy. So Paul had been experiencing Jesus' relentless pursuit and love for him for 20 years. He knew he was Jesus' treasure and delight. And Jesus loves you the same way this morning. He is relentlessly pursuing you every day, not just on Sundays, every single day he's pursuing you. He wants a closer personal relationship with you. So as Jesus loves us like that, how do we respond to that? Does it impact our souls? Is it like, oh, okay, I'm saved and I'm going to live my life any way I want to? We're just going to walk away from Jesus in essence? I'm not going to pursue this personal relationship, this perfect love that's pursuing me in the person of Christ? So it begs the question for us this morning, how well do you know Jesus? How well do you really know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus in a deeper and personal way for the amazing and great things that he has done for you? Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now our sermon text this morning is verses nine through 12, but I'm gonna start by reading in verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray for your spirit, the spirit of truth, as we sung about this morning, the Holy Spirit. May your spirit work in us this morning that we might understand uh, the love of Christ more than we do right now, that we might walk out of here experiencing your presence as we 
listen to this word this morning and we hear how much Jesus loves us. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to know you more. Help us, Lord, for we need your help. Our hearts are prone to wander and we need you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, there are two questions that we must consider that come from verse 9. The first one is, how was Paul found in Christ? Found in Christ. And what does it mean that the righteousness from God depends on faith? So let's take the first question. Paul was amazed that he was found in Christ. Jesus had forgiven his sins and saved him when he was on his way to destroy the church. But Jesus had done far more than that. Jesus had brought Paul into union with him. Paul was in Christ. And that's an amazing thing all in itself. Paul was in Christ. He was now part of the body of Christ. He's in union with Christ, the church. So Paul was awestruck and he was surprised by this amazing thing that had happened to him. Just like it should amaze us and cause us to be in awe and wonder of the power and the love and the presence of Christ as he pursues us looking at what Jesus has done and how much Jesus loves us. So it's only after Jesus brought Paul into union with himself that Paul discovered that he found himself in Christ. It's after everything that Jesus had done that he found himself in Christ. In other words, it was nothing that Paul had done. It was all by grace. He's the recipient of all these amazing things and how he was found in Christ And so the more he pondered that, the more he treasured and he worshiped Jesus because it's an amazing place that he found himself that would never change, never change. And so the other thing that Paul began to understand, not only how much he was loved, but he began to get a much clearer understanding of grace because he hadn't earned any of it. Let's look at our second question. What does it mean that the righteousness from God depends on faith? Well, Paul was very clearly aware that Jesus was the only one who had ever earned his own righteousness. Jesus' work was a work of works. He obeyed the law perfectly, and that's how his salvation came about. Not that he needed it. He was not with, didn't have a sin nature, but he perfectly obeyed the law. And because of that, he was able to have a righteousness before God. And now Paul knows, as he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that that righteousness of Christ had been imputed to him. So now Paul, as he stands before God as a sinner, God says, no, I only see what Jesus has done. It's like you're putting on these robes of righteousness, Paul. And so when I see you, I see those robes of Jesus, those righteous robes around you. I don't see you as a sinner that you truly are. Wow. It means I don't have to hide. I don't have to feel guilt and shame because God doesn't see any of that. Jesus has washed all that away with his blood. And he's imputed Paul with that righteousness that he has earned himself. So how did Paul receive that righteousness? It says he received it by how? By faith. Wow, 
Was Paul able to generate enough faith within himself to say, hey, I've got enough faith that now I can receive this righteousness? No, a resounding no. It was impossible for him to do that. Jesus had given him that. He had given him the faith to believe. Jesus alone is the founder and the perfecter of Paul's faith. Just like he's the founder and the perfecter. He starts by giving you the faith and he finishes it. He's the perfecter of your faith, my faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. One of the things that was found in him was faith. Not anything he got on his own. So Paul was astounded at this great gift of faith that Jesus had given him, in addition to the righteousness that Christ gave him. Ephesians 2.8 2, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You hear that? By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works or even ability. It's impossible for us to generate our own faith. So Paul was overjoyed that he'd been given this amazing great gift of, of faith. And all he had to do in order to receive Jesus' righteousness was to exercise that gift of faith. If you think of it like your muscle, and he exercised that muscle that was, that was given to him. I mean, does it get any better than this? I mean, this is amazing, this is astounding. Paul was in awe and in wonder. Not only had Jesus gone to the cross and, and given him his righteousness, but he'd given him the faith to receive it. Wow. And let that sink in right now because when you let that sink in down deep in your heart, you want to respond to that kind of thing that's happened to you. You want to respond in worship, in adoration, in praise. And so this is part of the reason we're here this morning. We've already heard about it. But the reason we're here is to remember and acknowledge all the things that God has done for us and to give him his worthship. That's the old English word from which we get worship, his worthship. And we're to be reminded of that because our hearts are so prone to wander. That's why we're in here every seven days. The world tempts us, it pulls us. And we begin to get our eyes and our hearts and minds on other things besides Christ and serving him and advancing his kingdom. So I want you to hear this because the same thing is true of you that has happened to Paul. So as Paul marveled at these gracious gifts, then his response was, I want to know Christ. I want to know why he's done this for me. I want to have a closer personal relationship with him. And I hope you yearn for that yourself this morning.
because you've received the same things if you're his. Now let's look at the second point in our sermon outline, which comes from verses 10 and 11. Knowing Christ was Paul's greatest desire. Paul wanted to know Jesus personally, not just know about him. So we can come in here, we can listen to a sermon, and we can know all these different things. We hear about Jesus. We can know where he was born. We can know how old he was. We can know the miracles that he's done, performed. We can know that he's got all these different attributes that we learn in theology classes. We know he can die, die on the cross. We can know even what he prayed for. So Paul could know all these things about Jesus without really personally knowing Jesus. So Paul's great desire was to know Jesus personally. And that's what he's encouraging us to do as we look over his, over his shoulder as he's writing this epistle to the Philippians. It's what he's trying to get across to us. And so he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul is saying that the power of his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, was the power of raising the dead and overcoming sin and spiritual death. So when Jesus saved Paul on that Damascus road, he basically gave him a new heart. He raised him from death to life as he became a new creation in Christ. And so it was that resurrection power that was being used. And so Paul also wanted more. You know, and that's what it says in the scripture, you know, if you want more, ask for it. Sometimes we think, oh, that doesn't sound right. No, as long as it's in line with the word of God, ask away. Jesus wants to give it to you. And so Paul's saying, okay, I want you to continue to sanctify me. I want you to continue to give me new desires that are deeper and more powerful in order to follow you and to know you. And out of the salvation that's mine, now I want you to be able to show and guide and direct me in how I can serve you and live for you. And I know as I do that, then you'll provide all the grace and the power that I need. We sang a song about that, the power of God. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. So Paul knew that he was still a sinner saved by grace. But he also knew that Jesus had the power, the resurrection power to change the desires of his heart, his sinful desires. And to continue to sanctify him and create increasing Christ-likeness in him as he was growing and experiencing different things. And when Jesus returned, Paul knew that Jesus would use his resurrection power to raise, transform, and glorify his body from the dead. Wow. These are powerful things to meditate upon, dear brothers and sisters. 
If you wonder what you need to think about when you have a little meditation time, maybe your prayer closet or whatever, think on these types of things, how much you've received, and how gracious and loving and powerful our God is. And then Paul said he wanted to know Christ by sharing his sufferings. Okay, now's not the time to tune out, okay? <laughs> we don't generally like to hear about sufferings, right? We've got enough problems already. I understand. But there's something very powerful that happens here. So he's saying he wants to know Christ by sharing his sufferings. What does he mean by that? Well, Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Whoa. <laughs> rejoice in the midst of this trial, right? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Wow. So when we suffer and we're mistreated as we live our daily lives, identifying ourselves as Christians, living for Christ, being bold in our witness, we grow in our knowledge of Christ. We're in union with Christ and so we're declaring these wonderful and great things that we've experienced. As we do, our knowledge of Christ grows and our faith deepens. Our faith deepens. We grow in Christ-likeness. Because what's taking place is that you're at a place where you're more dependent on the Lord than any other time. Jesus has to come through for you. And you don't voluntarily put your, play, your, your life in a place that's at risk. I don't either. But when these things come upon you, then you're to look to Christ. And he has a way through the wilderness. He has a way to the promised land. And he's going to walk with us every step of the way, even if it takes 40 years like the Israelites. He provided the manna miraculously. Shoes and clothing didn't wear out. Amazing, day in and day out. He's going to do the same for us. And so as Paul was suffering in that Roman jail, then these things are where his mind was. And so he wanted to react in love even under those difficult circumstances the same way Christ reacted in love by saying, yes, I will go to the cross. Because he loves you. And so Paul is saying, I want to be like Christ in the sufferings. I'm ready to go to the cross as well. Not for my own gain, but I'm going to understand how to love more deeply than I have ever loved before. Do you want to become more powerful in the way that you love other people? The more powerful the way you love Christ? Is that a desire of your heart? Can you know Christ at that level of loving more so than where you are right today? We all have more room to grow. We all have more room for improvement. Romans 5, 3 and 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that 
Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Did you hear that? In other words, when we love people, we're loving people with the love of Christ. And what blocks that flow? My sin nature, that's what, my pride, my selfishness. The love wants to flow. It's like a backed up stream in a lot of us. And that river wants to come through and clean that out. That love of Christ going through us as we begin to know Christ better, want to serve him more, want to delight in him and receive more of his love. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that? Because he's moving in the resurrection power of Jesus. He's no longer trying to move in his self-effort and his own strength. He's ended that. That doesn't work. Well, it might work part way, but not completely. So when we're powerless and we see and experience Jesus' resurrection power in the midst of our sufferings, Wow, that resurrection power is moving. We see Christ at a deeper level, that he is more powerful than I thought. I can't tell you how many times I've had times when uh, I've had financial struggles, especially in seminary. (laughs) And God provided for me in ways I had no idea. And it wasn't like I go over here, work at the 7-Eleven, get a little... Side money. No, it's entirely different things you wouldn't even dream of. You couldn't make them happen. You wouldn't even come up with those ideas. And I saw that happen again and again as I was going through seminary. Because I had to understand that earning all this money and all this stuff wasn't just in my strength. And I began to love God more for that. It's like, okay, you're going to equip me to do this thing that you've called me to do called being a pastor. It doesn't matter what my income is. Well, it matters to some degree, of course, because the church is supposed to make sure the pastors are taken care of so they don't have to worry about money. <laughs> but I tasted that love of Christ. He had called me to be in seminary, and he was going to get me through it. It wasn't always easy because some of me had to die. I had to die to self and self-strength and just how I could come up with things. And so... We see in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus tells us that there's a great heavenly reward when we suffer for him. So it's not just all bad, right? It's not all just struggling. I mean, it's good on both sides, but blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. There's that word again. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So we lose sight of that when we go through suffering. When you're in pain, where does your mind go? It goes back on yourself. Every morning you get up and say, oh, I have to face this problem again. And God's saying, no, get your eyes back on me. Everything's fine. It might be a struggle right now, but it's going to be okay. I'm here. My resurrection power will be acting in the midst of this situation. Not only that, but your future inheritance is secure in heaven. 
And there's reason and there's purpose why I'm allowing you to go through this situation. The world doesn't understand your reaction when it mistreats you like that. When you're quick to forgive, you're quick to love and not persecute back, not have revenge, not condemn. You're showing them Christ and the love of Christ when you do that. It's hard. That's the kind of love that Jesus wants to pass on to us and teach us about. It's never easy, but you will experience the resurrection of power of Christ when you do that and you will know Jesus more personally than you've ever known him before and his grace will be sufficient for you. And that brings us to our third point on our outline. Verse 12, it says that we see Paul's desire to know Christ was fueled by his knowledge that Christ had made Paul his own. Made Paul his own. It's easy to read that and not think about it. Jesus had chosen Paul. That's the gospel. Jesus had chosen Paul. Only after Jesus had chosen him did Paul choose Jesus. You know, when you talk to people sometimes, you say, well, I'm going to choose Jesus. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff that went on before you could do that. <laughs> and if you're thinking this morning, I chose Jesus, it's like, yeah, you did, but after well, you've become a new creature in Christ, and after you've been given the gift of faith, now you're choosing Jesus, okay. But we can lose sight of why you're able to choose Jesus. So it was because Jesus had loved him, saved him, died for him, received the wrath of God for his sins, established a personal relationship with him. And was producing Christ-likeness on a daily basis in him. And so that's the reason that Paul desired to know Christ more personally and more intimately. And he wanted to follow him. And he wanted to be with him. Does that resonate in your heart this morning? You don't have to answer that or shake your head. <laughs> but do you? Because of all these amazing things that Christ has done for you. Do you want to know him more personally? Do you want to follow him and be with him? Or is that not even in your radar? So Paul's relationship with Jesus was personal. Personal. Paul wanted to know Jesus more personally. And the reason he wanted to know Jesus was that Jesus had chosen to love him first. You're holy and completely and perfectly loved here this morning. Paul was rejoicing when he wrote that Jesus had made me his own. Basically, another way of saying that Jesus owns me. I'm so glad he owns me. I am Jesus' love slave because I know that when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, that's when I was saved. And Jesus has a plan for our lives and he has a way and a purpose and a different things that he wants us to do. Because he's done all these things, that's the indicative, then he gives us the imperative, this is what I want you to do. 
And sometimes we just kind of get stuck in the indicative. We start just thinking about, wow, look at all this. Jesus has saved me. This is so wonderful. But it's okay for me to just continue to run my own life. Dear brothers and sisters, that's not true. Jesus is Savior and Lord. That means he owns you. He has permission to send you to go out and do anything that he calls you to do. But he will equip you with the gifts that you need to do those things. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to be with you every second of every day as he calls you to do those things. Jesus has given you the gift of faith and his righteousness. Are you amazed at how much Jesus loves you and continues to pursue a personal relationship with you? Do you want to know Jesus the same way that Paul knew Jesus? Do you start out every day crying out to Jesus for grace to obey and please him that day? Or do you just get up and just start the day? Start taking it on in your own strength. Do you rejoice in living for Christ every day? Or are you lukewarm? Well, we're probably all lukewarm sometimes. <laughs> but Jesus had something to say to the church at Laodicea in Revelation, in chapter 3, about what he thought about lukewarmness. He said to them, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door of your heart and continuously knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Do you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart every morning when you get up. He's continuously knocking, it says. It's in the present tense in Greek. That's what that means, continuous. So here we are. We're getting up first thing in the morning. Jesus is coming to the door. I've got my arms and hands up against that door. And what have I got to do? Got to let him in. If I don't let him in, I'm running my own life. I'm going to do things in my power. And Jesus is loving me. He wants to come in there. He's pursuing me because he delights in me and he wants to bring the grace of God into my heart, to my life, the wisdom that I need in order to love the people that I will encounter for that day. I mean, we don't think in terms of, wow, I'm being harmful, but you're harming yourself if you don't let Jesus in every morning. You're making life more complicated than it needs to be. You're being tempted by things you shouldn't be tempted by. So you need to open that door instead of holding fast on the other side. 
is Jesus is knocking because he wants to be with you. He wants a personal relationship to walk through that day, every day, with you because he's always pursuing you. So how do you do that? How does he speak to you? Do you hear a voice? No. Well, it might be a rare occasion that somebody does. It's very rare. The norm is that he says, open up my word and I'll speak to you through my word. So every morning you need to be opening up the word, even if it's just for five minutes. Read something, because that, what it does is it makes you look up. You're not just tearing into the world to take it on all by yourself. You're reminded, oh, Jesus is here. And his grace is going to be sufficient for me. And he's got things for me to do and people for me to talk to. And all of a sudden, some of those different things that are happening in each day make a lot more sense when I'm thinking, you know what, Jesus is controlling this. How am I supposed to react with the love of Christ into this person's life who's causing me a lot of problems right now? I mean, it might be that God's bringing this person into your life to give you a hard time to witness to them. Maybe he's trying to get them saved and you're the one he's going to work through instead of getting angry with them and upset, condemning them. Maybe you need to be praying for them and asking God to save them. This is what happens when you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness every single day. And so I'm on Jesus' business. And I've read the word and I've heard God speaking to me and now I'm praying and asking him to show me what it is he wants me to do. Help me, O oh Lord. I want to be your love slave today. I want to be part of what it means to advance your kingdom. And so when we have these different things that we are asked to do by him, he wants to take away our fears. Because that's the first thing, I'm afraid, right? He might ask me to do something I don't want to do. So I get afraid. But he wants you to trust him with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he will make your path straight. Most of you probably recognize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's the promise. It's there. That's his promise to you. So he wants you to trust him with all of your heart and to know his love and his power each and every day for whatever it is you're facing. Might be in your marriage. Might be in your parenting. Not everybody's easy to love. <laughs> so he longs to reassure you and comfort you with his presence and his power and his love as we live out each and every day. And so the prophetic words of Zephaniah 3.17 have come true for us today. It says, Jesus is in our midst right now. And I literally mean right now. <laughs> A mighty one who saves us. He rejoices over us with gladness. He quiets us by his love. He exults over us with loud singing. 
in our midst right now. He's singing over us now. He's rejoicing over you now. Do you sense his presence and his love? Are you drawing close to him as he's drawn close to you? He wants you to experience his presence and his power and his love every day, not just on Sunday mornings, every day. He's the God who shows up seven days a week, not just one. So Jesus' love for you will never end, and he will never let you go. That's his promise. Your name is graven in the palms of his hands. You're never out of his sight. He never slumbers nor sleeps, according to Psalm 121. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the depths of your depravity better than you do. And yet he delights in and loves you. He loves you so much, he's already proven that he's died for you. You're secure in Jesus' love. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus, your Lord. He stands ready to help you and your unbelief. It's okay, you can tell him. He understands, he knows. He knows better than you do. <laughs> it's okay to have unbelief, have questions, but take it to him. And ask him to open your heart and to see and understand. So rejoice. Because the lover of your soul, the lover of your soul is relentlessly seeking a deeper and personal relationship with you. How well do you know Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus' presence here with us this morning, for the Holy Spirit present. Thank you how you're working in us. Thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. And we really pray that you would show us how to love you more, how to long and receive a deeper personal relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.